Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're going to see the most understated of Jesus's miracles. Uh, I've said that about a couple of passages, I know. So let's clarify. One of them is listed here in this text, and it's not overtly described as miraculous, but I think that it is. The other one is the charcoal fire with which Jesus grilled some fish seemingly instantaneously upon Peter's return to the shore in John 21. Uh, you tell me what you think after we look at the text. Here's John, or excuse me, Luke chapter 4, verse 22. So Jesus has just gotten up and read from Isaiah 61 and proclaimed himself the fulfillment of a passage that everybody in the room knows is messianic, meaning it foretold of the Messiah. So he has just gotten up in the synagogue and proclaimed himself the Messiah, the Son of God. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not, yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So they have closed in with murderous intent. This is Luke's gospel's first mention of hostility toward Jesus and his ministry. And they wanted to kill him right there. But then he just passes right through the crowd. All right, this is why I believe that it is miraculous because it does say that they were intending to hurl him over the cliff, but instead he passed right through. Uh, and so I say that in, in humble disagreement with some pretty prominent uh, commentators. I do think that the, just the text indicates they, they wanted to kill him, and instead he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So everybody was on board with everything that he said. They, they had like this momentary skepticism. Isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we know him? Isn't his mother Mary and his, you know, he's a carpenter. Don't we know his brothers? If you look at this through a harmony of the Gospels, it's a little bit hard to believe that like the neighborhood kid is God. And they're kind of like, well, time out. Hang on a second. God wouldn't come from here. This is Nazareth. Don't we know this kid? Wouldn't we have seen this coming? And they end up committing some of the same kind of Christological errors that that I spoke about a couple of devotions ago that modern-day Protestant Christians are subject to. That is diminishing, in this case, the deity of Christ. When you anytime you downgrade Jesus, anytime you demote Jesus to anything short of Lord, you're in heretical waters. Jesus is Lord. He is fully God, he's fully man. And these people from Nazareth evidently believe some of the bad press about their own town because they projected onto him their same low expectations for themselves and perhaps their own kids. Wait, we, he can't be God because we know him. He's from here. We know his mother and father. Surely God wouldn't be among us. 
Now, he points out something. You're gonna, he anticipates what they're going to say to him. They're going to quote a proverb, you know, doctor, heal yourself. We've heard, uh, we, we've heard that took place in Capernaum. Do here in, uh, do that here in your hometown also. So they want proof. In John's gospel, uh, there's, there's the only mention of these, these miracles. I think it's John chapter four, while Jesus is in Capernaum, and he performs a miracle. And they've heard about the miracle and, uh, and they, they, want, they want to see it done uh, for them as well. And Jesus points out, look, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. So this wasn't just the case for Jesus. Elijah was very unpopular, especially because at his prayer, uh, and I think it's First Kings, the skies were shut up for over three months with a drought. People were not very happy with Elijah. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. So this also addresses another really prominent false teaching. Um, and man, uh, rebuking this false teaching has... has uh, has cost me dearly, but I, I'll do it again anyway. It's not always God's will that somebody be healed. It's not. It's not. This is biblically not. It was not God's will that Paul be spared his thorn in the flesh. It was not God's will that all of the widows in Elijah's day, you know, be, uh, be, be ministered to miraculously. It was... It was not God's will that all the other lepers in Elisha's ministry receive healing. It was not God's will that everyone in the tragic fall and collapse of a tower would be spared. It's not always God's will that you be healed. Biblically, it's not. Straight up, without exaggeration, according to God, it's not always God's will. It's not always God's will. It's not always God's will. Now, there's something culturally you have to understand about these towns that are named Sidon and this, and then Syria. All right, so sorry, Sidon's a, a town. Syria was more of a region. Uh, uh, so this meant that God was at work among Gentiles in verse 26 uh, and 27. And that was the breaking point, because you can see in verse 28, the town's enraged. That's what makes them want to kill him. The fact that he would say God was at work among Gentiles, that God would bypass, you know, the, the prophet's hometowns and then go work a miracle. Um, uh, he would work a, work a miracle to, to resurrect someone, he work a miracle to heal a leper. Um, he would work a miracle to... To, to relieve the long-standing drought and famine in Gentile territory. That they're like, you can read from Isaiah all you want and claim to be God all you want, uh, but when you start talking about God bypassing us and, and ministering to Gentiles, well, obviously we're all going to have to like corporately murder you. And so that, that's their response. They could not abide the thought. Now, there's a history there. These are their persecutors. But this is Jesus, and he's God. And so I'm going to side with God. He's right. I'm so grateful for it, because I'm sitting here talking to you, a Gentile, saved, on the other side of the planet, from where all of this took place. 
I'm incredibly grateful that the gospel came to the Gentiles because my ancestors were a long way from all of this. And now generations and millennia and miles later, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Jesus got up, read the word of God, proclaimed himself the savior. And you would think that that's where the revival would really begin. But instead, he was met with skepticism by the people who watched him grow up. And he was not concerned with how popular his teachings were. Just like Elijah wasn't concerned with how popular the drought was and how Elisha wasn't concerned with how unpopular choosing only one Gentile leper to heal. God's not concerned with the popularity. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Be less concerned with popularity and acceptance. Be ever consumed with the truth of the word of God, because only one of these two things lasts forever.